Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And it doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. The only host in all of Catholic media that is able to take days off your purgatory. Because I can be irritating to listen to. But if you listen and you plow your way through it, the benefit is, we can't say how much, because there's no time in eternity, but may take a, a few of the seconds off of your purification. Nice to have you with me. The doctor is in, and the variant of E-Person Monday, where I look at address, read. See, those are all benign words. I used to say tackle, take on, uh, expunge. Those are all those are those are rough words. The words I would choose to use when when I was playing sports more, but uh, now I have to soften it. You're e-persons, and um, see what I can do to read between the lines. I, I never want to just read an email. Every once in a while, I slip and call it a mail. Just kind of kind of a leftover linguistic habit in me. I don't like to just read it and then say, "Okay, here's my thoughts." I like to go along sentence or two at a time, comment on the sentences, maybe read between the lines, which might be a parallel to what you do in therapy when you try to listen between the lines. And typically, they are selected for various reasons, and I don't remember exactly how the email progresses, what is said in the last paragraph or the last several sentences, and sometimes it's as much a surprise to me when I go over it the second time for the program. However, that allows me to speculate a little bit on what could be coming up or what the person is actually saying in the early part of the e-person. And when it dovetails with the latter part, I feel I feel pretty good, pretty thoughtful about that e-person. Just kind of a <clears throat> kind of a, a, a lack of humble response. We'll get to that shortly. When I first came out of grad school, I was formula-oriented. A parent would come into an office, they would describe a problem, and I had have behavioral strategies, will travel. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just give them some suggestions and see what they do with it, and uh, that's, that's kind of how I'll apply this particular problem-solution. I found out rather quickly that you have to get past a parent's resistance to doing certain things, whether they're afraid the child won't like them, whether they're afraid they'll be unfair or harsh, whether discipline smells like one parent said to me, it smells like I'm breeding fear. 
Um, whether they're afraid of doing something psychologically incorrect, whether their kid will resent them. There's, there's, just, there's almost no limit to the resistances of setting healthy boundaries, limits on a kid and following through, expectations. One of the common ones, is not in the top three, but it is in the top ten. I don't want to break his spirit. Now that's an interesting way to put it, is it? Let's, uh, let's look at a couple of the key words in that sentence. Break his spirit. What's, what is his spirit? Is that his, his zest? His energy? Well, that's pretty cool. That's something that's positive. Or is his spirit manifesting itself in defiance? I mean, this is a kid who doesn't want to listen or who debates or who defies. Is, is that his spirit? So are they saying, well, I want to keep the good aspects of why he's defiant whatever those might be, but I would like to dampen the bad aspects, maybe disrespect or maybe total lack of cooperation, but at the same time, I don't want an automaton. I don't want a kid who's just going to go through the emotions to obey me simply because I'm applying discipline. And then the word break. I don't want to break his spirit. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to have this high-energy six-year-old, high-energy ten-year-old, outgoing, challenging 15-year-old, and and if you attempt to, to bring him under a bit better control, that somehow that's going to break who he is? It's going to damage his personality? How does that follow? Here's the irony to that. If a parent is frustrated by a child's behavior, but they are reluctant to take firm action to put some limits on it and to control it, they ultimately become very, very frustrated. It increases to the point where pretty soon they can be harsh. They can not like this child. They can indeed do the things that would, quote-unquote, assault his spirit. If you don't have legitimate parental control over defiant, nasty conduct, you're going to get frustrated. I've never, I've never met a parent who can live with a kid who constantly challenges them. And says, I like it this way. This is good. I really appreciate that my son or my daughter is so open in their disrespect and their defiance and their lack of cooperation. I I haven't. They may be able to tolerate it for even years. But ultimately, it drives them to the point where they're so angry, they talk to that child like they don't talk to anybody else in in the world. Break his spirit. It's kind of a, a meaningless phrase. Because break means somehow you're going to alter his personality, but maybe you should alter certain aspects of his personality, right? If, if part of his personality is this defiance, 
or his resistance or his opposition or his making everything a battle, then, then you do want to break that. That's not going to lead to any kind of nice relationship between the two of you. And if you define spirit as spunk or zest or energy, I dare say you're going to get more of that if he can bridle his impulses. Then you'll have a kid with a lot of spirit who is also showing a fair amount of self-control. So you don't break spirits with discipline. You break spirits with nastiness. They're very different things. And if you don't have discipline, you're much more likely to become nasty. And then you risk bringing about the very same thing that you didn't want to bring about for fear of having to discipline and hold his child accountable. Dr. Ray. All the advice, none of the bills. Come in. The doctor is in. This week on Christ is the Answer, Father John talks about the dignity of the human person. Each of us has been given life by our God. When a man and a woman are joined together physically and emotionally in love, a new life is the result. But for some, this new life is a burden that they do not want. Don't miss this week as Father John addresses the culture's views on the unborn and the hope for healing when we are all open to the dignity of our fellow man. Tune in for Christ is the Answer Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. Food for the Journey, Sister Ann Shield. No, we would avoid... A lot of difficult arguments, just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord, give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself and you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry. How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them? Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments. Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey. Weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Thinking at the speed of thought. Dr. Ray Garendi, thank you for joining me here. The Doctor is in. Co-production of EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications with my producer man, Andrew Kruchek, there at the board. He is a board operator. Wish he would be more interested, but... Hello, Dr. Ray. I have a grown-up daughter. I was widowed for 12 years 
and my husband 17 years when we married about two years ago. We regularly attend our Byzantine church where said daughter leads all three liturgies. She's very active, very active in the church. Her husband is one of our deacons. When people ask her how I'm doing, she says my husband treats me very well. Now that strikes me as kind of a non-committal answer, but let's see where it leads. Our family has always been extremely close. Now, all right, let me interrupt me for a second there. I get a lot of communication that say this. Our family has always been extremely close. And and she also says, and loving. Does that mean all of the family? Or does that mean in general, but there are some or one or more of the children who have been more difficult to raise or more independent-minded? Let me take that a step further. When somebody says, we have always been very close... But now they're saying there is a complete rift in the relationship. Barring anything absolutely abhorrent happening, being done, um, then I'm forced into two conclusions. One, they really weren't as close as they thought. If it could break like that, then you had the illusion of being close. You thought you were close. But when somebody can write you off uh, on the basis of what? Minor irritations? Or even some event that you've apologized for, but they still write you off, then that speaks that somehow along the way they were building up resentments. Okay. Our family has always been extremely close and loving. On the other hand, she has been more difficult. Her father could easily talk to her, but she would lock horns with me. Okay. So there you go. For whatever the reason, you know, this is, this is interesting. My, my son handles my Instagram, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together two different e-persons here. This was something that somebody commented on on the Instagram. He was, in, he was inviting some uh, comments and questions, and the person said this. A person said, uh, where is that? Oh, okay, that's him and my wife. All right. The person said, what is it about moms and daughters that they so often lock horns, battle? Now, I'm not going to make that major generalization, but I will say It is more common among mothers and daughters or mothers-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. Much more common among the in-laws. Why is this? Well, my my guess would be that guys generally, as a rule, talk less. Generally. They are less likely to give the opinion. They are less likely to engage in kind of a back and forth. And this is, again, this... These are generalizations now. Come on. Nobody's be thinking, yeah, but that's not the case with my father-in-law. I understand that. But if we're simply going by the numbers, my experience after many, many decades, and uh, I was talking to a priest once that you would all know, 
and he said that was very much his experience, that it's the women tend to, to butt heads more. Her father could easily talk to her, but she would lock horns with me. Okay, so we, we have a wrinkle in this extremely close and loving relationship. It's there, it's been there, and when it was peaceful and calm and quiet, uh, it looked really good, but it could trip switch into an emotional clash, depending upon. Dr. Ray, the current issue is she is disrespectful to my husband. She ignores him. And this started when we got engaged. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, she doesn't want anybody, probably, to be replacing her father. Father has, well, uh, see what, what they, he died, father died. So she probably feels some great loyalty to her dad. And the fact that mom up and went remarried just didn't sit well with her. Our family tradition has always been to go out to breakfast after church. Her husband took a new job, so he no longer had breakfast with us. It became more obvious how she ignores my husband. He has refrained from putting her in her place out of respect for me. Well, that's good. Because I don't think in any way, if he quote-unquote put her in her place, it would make any difference. I highly doubt that she would say, I didn't realize I was doing that. Thank you. Thank you for, for pointing it out to me. That, that, that sets me in my place. Uh, no. If you've got a long-standing piece of behavior like that, which she is clearly choosing to do, Highly unlikely that when you confront her with it, she's going to admit to it and then alter it. All right, I, 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 my experience has been on something like that one out of ten times, maybe. My daughter has forced me to decide between her and my husband. I will always cleave to my husband. Okay, here we go. This is the part I didn't realize was coming, but it confirms my initial impression. If I confront her, she brushes me off. In other words, I don't want to hear it. We invite them over, she declines. She is willing to see me only on special occasions. She tells me we can all meet on, quote, neutral ground. I don't really know what that means. All of us are very involved in our church. Sometimes she will say hi to him. He and I would both be happily married to our first spouses if they were still alive today. I love her dearly, but she was raised to be kind, not rude. People comment how sweet, kind, and faith-based she is. Oh, man, there's so many things to address in this. She closes with, I've been trying to make this situation better, but to no avail. Well, you're right. In the words of Kenny Rogers, the gambler, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You've been trying, she didn't want to cooperate. And I would suspect that it comes down to she doesn't like this guy, quote-unquote, who replaced her father. She feels a loyalty to her father. 
She looks at you. She sees how happy you are, and that may arouse some resentment in her. I'm all speculating now. I'm just, but I'm just throwing this out. And the thing that most jumps out at me, two things actually. She's very active in church. Very, very active in church. Heavily involved in liturgy and choir, teaching. Wow. We will be judged by how we love. Uh, is there any reason to treat this man from a distance? If, if at all, really. It doesn't sound like there's some bit more than a distance. It's just a chasm. So, how does that dovetail with being very religious? I've always said, I, I, I can pray a decade of the rosary a lot easier than I can forgive an obnoxious person. So, again, I'm going to say, Mom, if you want to confront her, maybe the next time I would say, how do you, how do you reconcile this kind of treatment with all the other ways that your faith looks to mean something to you? I'd say it if you're going to confront her again, but don't expect a good response. But the other thing is this. You said people comment how sweet, kind, and faith-based she is. Well, it is easy to do that when you only see external. We all do it. We make great personality judgments on the basis of what we see. And most of us don't really see with any depth of people. We don't really know people with any kind of depth. Those people at church, they have no idea of your family dynamics. All they know is she's personable, she's kind to them, she reaches out to them, she speaks with with faith language. All those things help them form the picture that this is a very loving, caring person. They don't know that in one circumstance she's not. There's the difference. I say this all the time. People say, oh, I always thought he was such a good guy. I can't believe it. He was so active in our church. What, he up and left his wife and three kids? That doesn't, that doesn't fit. Well, yeah, it probably would fit if you knew him doesn't fit on the basis of the impression you got. Sometimes I watch crime shows. And I watch them for the psychology of it all. I watch them for the psychology of the detectives and the way they they solve and connect dots. And one of the interesting things that happens, they frequently say this, well, that marriage that looked so good to everybody, when you dig down deep into its history... Oh, my, there were all kinds of red flags. Or that person who just seemed the pillar of the community, when you dig into their history, you find he was arrested five times eight years ago. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that everybody thinks she's so faith-filled and loving because that's how she acts around them. And and in, in many respects, she is, but not in this one. And it's a big one. When you when you clearly, essentially, write someone off that is in your immediate family circle, and 
that affects, for example, your mother. You pretty much said, Mom, we're not going to have any contact here. Because as long as you're married to him, uh, I'm not coming around. Is a guy a bad dude? Probably not. At least the letter writer doesn't say that. So there's got to be something deeper going on. Love. Love is first. Very nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In, rated PG, Psychological Grandstanding. This is E-Person Monday, where I do my best to address, more benign word there, the E-Persons that come in throughout the month. Let's see what we've got on the phone here. I'm nervous about doing the phones. Alrighty, let's see what we've got. Um, getting there real quick here. She has. Um, all right, wait a minute. Oh, that's the wrong mailbox. Go to, go to this mailbox. All right, here we go. I have a question about my 21-year-old daughter. She's a good person who seeks God, but recently. She's met a 22-year-old from her workplace. He is non-Christian and also smokes pot. Well, apparently mom knows this because the daughter's told him this. Her stepfather and myself have been over and over again. Now, that's a key phrase, over and over again, how he is wrong for her. All right, mom... You've made your case. You have truly made your case. She says she has no life. And she wants to pursue this for now. As you can guess, Dr. Ray, we are upset. She still goes to Mass and she prays. But I fear this guy will tear her away from her faith. What should we do? Well, that question, Mom, doesn't have any answer. You've already done it. If you're saying, what should we say, my guess would be, when you said over and over again, you've said it. You've said it from every angle you can think of. Where you're running into the resistance is that, for whatever the reason, emotionally... There's a pull there, and she's listening to her motions, and she's not listening to her her thinking that 
Does she want to be involved with a guy that's non-Christian and who regularly smokes dope? Now, I'm sure she said to you on multiple occasions when you've approached this that he has a lot of redeeming qualities. He treats her good. He's very nice, etc., etc., etc. When you say, what should we do? I've seen parents do things in situations like this. For example, if she's living at home, the parent will say, you can't live here if you're going to see that guy. Or they'll say, uh, don't bring him around here. They'll do that. Now, those are very, very risky moves. Because most of the time when somebody is emotionally blinded about a relationship, uh, reasoning and rationale and even quote-unquote consequences like that are not going to change their trajectory in this relationship. If your daughter is the faith-filled person that you think she is, then this particular relationship will unfold in ways that sit less and less easy on her. You are probably wise to quit hammering away at it because she will just dig her heels in further. If she says she has no life, she's telling you, I I want a relationship. And it's very hard for me to find someone out there. I found someone who pays attention to me, seems to care for me, and yes, uh, these aspects about his personality I wish were different. However, that's not enough for me to go on living as I have been. That's where she's at. So at this point, you're in a situation to quietly bide your time and hope that she will see more clearly that they are not well matched. Now, here's the temptation you have to avoid. When she speaks of some frustration with him, for example, she might say, well, he didn't go to work yesterday because he just didn't get out of bed. The temptation is to say, well, I'm I'm glad you're seeing that because your dad and I have seen that he... No, don't. Don't. Because what will happen is she'll just stop telling you stuff. Just listen. And, and if you're going to do anything, just ask her, well, what, are you, what do you want to do about that? Or what, what do you think about that? That's all. Get her to say it, not you. The mistake you may fall into is that you think if you keep hammering away at it enough, she's going to, quote-unquote, realize. She's going to have to realize through reality. Two real words there. As he does things or shows parts of himself that become harder to take. Right now, it's a balance toward whatever qualities she sees in him that are attractive. That's that's right now is overwhelming the dope smoking and the non-Christian. 
Maybe in her mind she's thinking, I can have influence on him, I can change him, I can, I can explain Christianity to him, uh, if he cares enough about me, I can even get him to become Catholic, and maybe this dope smoking thing, you know, he comes from a bad family, and he's been doing this since he was 16, and if he has somebody who cares for him and realizes that he doesn't need to do, I mean, I don't know what her thinking is, you've heard it, I'm sure. And you're thinking, that is really unrealistic, daughter. Even if it is, it's her reality. So what are we supposed to do, Doctor? Are you supposed to, just supposed to sit here and accept it? What choice do you have? As I said, if, if, if you're not going to kick her out if she's living with you, and if you're not going to say, well, as long as you see him, we don't want to see you guys together at any time. You can come and over here, but he can't. You can do that. But I generally don't advise it. It's not wise because typically I think what will happen is you won't see your daughter as much. And by by creating the distance between you and him, you'll also create the distance between you and her. So you're in a situation to let this play out. And hopefully your daughter will see. And if she doesn't, if she says, this is the guy, okay, then you got to do your very best to love them both and show them that your faith is making you more caring and tolerant and, and hopefully they can grow along the way. Here on the Doctor's Inn. I'm Dr. Ray Grandy. Program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. My website is drray.com, D R R A Y.com. All 17 books, well, actually, a couple of them are, are nearing re release, so it's probably only made 14 or 15 books there. If you would like to take a look at them, uh, we've uh, lowered the cost and we have lowered the shipping and handling. So I'm thinking maybe you might want to check it out get a good price on it and they're all signed well they're not signed by me but they're all signed yeah they're signed by me hello dr ray now the previous question was a mom who had a very distant difficult relationship with her grown daughter daughter was in her 40s this one is the reverse she says, I have a strange relationship with my mother-in-law. And then a little parenthetically, she says, which is obviously unremarkable. <laughs> Her visits to come see us have, over time, become occasions where I'm highly anxious. Now, I, didn't, I don't remember further on in this e-person, but the first thing that strikes me is, well, obviously most likely explanation is that mother-in-law is taking some snipes 
at the daughter-in-law or given opinions that aren't asked for, and this is building, and the daughter-in-law is finding the stress meter go higher. She is a lamb to my husband. Well, that's her son, right? And to my children. Oh, they're grandkids. But she acts toward me in a way that, though subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, I feel targeted. She does a lot to help when she's here. Okay, so she here's a woman who can who can serve and she can she can do a lot of what charitable kind acts in terms of helping out around the house and with the kids. She does a lot when she's here. And every day I get on my knees and ask the Lord to wipe the slate clean. And give me the fortitude and grace to begin the day without bitterness. Okay, that's a good prayer. At issue is the ways in which she comes at me, and she puts in parentheses, I feel are ways that look benign on paper. Or at any rate are ways that make me seem paranoid when I mention them. (laughs) I'm reminded of the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond where Marie Barone uh, her daughter Deborah I'm sorry, her daughter-in-law Deborah Raymond's wife Marie was always giving backhanded comments for example uh, one time Deborah said I've just got so much I've just just got so much laundry to do and Marie says well that's okay, that's okay I can walk you through it or they had a party once, and there was a punch bowl with, without the label, ladle in it. And Marie says, uh, Deborah, uh, some of the guests are asking um, about the ladle. There's no label in the punch bowl. Is that what you intended? <laughs> it's like, you see, like, it's just this subtle snipe, and Marie was so good at that. Okay, so daughter-in-law here is saying, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling like she does that to me. And then she gives this as an example. There's a time she went out to buy underwear that matched all of my underwear to a tee. And I left them out to dry in plain sight. Oh, and she left them out to dry in plain sight. Okay. I commented on them and she categorically denied the copy. Hmm. It is subtle things like this that make me feel like I'm starting to go nuts when she's here. All right. Let me help you out here, Mom. Whether she is or whether she isn't is meaningless. You're right. When you point that out to somebody, she deliberately went out and bought the exact same underwear that I bought. They would say, so what? So she did. So what? Well, she's saying something. Okay, so what? The question becomes, why does this bother you so much? Even if there's legitimacy in coming of the subtle ways that she does her little snipes. Okay. What, what is it? She, she's not cussing you out. And she's not arguing with you. And what's happened is you are in a state of hypervigilance to interpret her motive. 
And once you start doing that, once you get into trying to read somebody's motives for behavior that you think is aimed at you personally, you're going to start getting into all kinds of confusion and resentment. Because you may not be reading her motives correctly. But let's just say you are. Let's say that, in fact, you're reading her motives correctly. You are not the favorite person in that family. She's very caring to her husband. She's very caring to the kids. I guess that's the way it is. I had a relative whose wife and he took care of her father. Her father made it very clear he didn't like the son, son-in-law. Made it very clear. But here the, the son-in-law was, was opening his home and taking care of them. Not good enough. He, he didn't, didn't care for him. Okay, the son-in-law rode with it. He, he just kind of let it roll off him. Now, you can say, Dr. Ray, I can't do that. I can't, I can't let it roll off of me. It gets to me too much. And then you've got to ask yourself... Do, do I like being this anxious? Do I like being this hypervigilant for her next move? Or can I start to say, I have a lot more strength. This doesn't have to get to me. And even if I totally believe she doesn't care for me and she's very good at doing subtle little stabs that nobody else sees, and if I say anything to anybody else, they look at me like, uh, what is your problem? then your best move by far is to recognize what could be happening, probably not always, but enough, and conclude that's who she is. That's who she is with you. And you know what I think bugs you? Because she's nice to your husband and your kids. And my guess would be they just think she's wonderful. And you feel isolated and misunderstood and alone because they they don't see or they don't directly experience that side of her. And that just bothers you up one side and down the other, doesn't it? So you say to yourself, okay, I've been praying for the Lord to help me and maybe the way he's going to help me is that I can just start to allow her way to go past me because I don't like being anxious when I'm here and the anxiety that I feel is anticipatory anxiety, which means, when is she going to do the next thing? That's a tough way to live around her. You control how much you are anxious about what she is potentially capable of. Dr. Ray. We'll return after these messages. When we ask God our Father to deliver us from evil, are we referring to an idea or a person? We are not referring to an abstraction, says the Catholic Catechism. We are referring to a person, the evil one, Satan, the fallen angel, who throws himself across God's plan of salvation accomplished in Christ. Jesus labeled Satan a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies. We do not pray alone. We pray in communion with the church for the whole human family. Our interdependence in the drama of sin and death is turned into solidarity in the body of Christ, the communion of saints. If one entrusts himself to God, one does not dread the devil. 
Victory over Satan, the prince of the world, was attained once and for all when Jesus freely gave himself over to death in order to give us his life. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jingle. St. Ignatius of Loyola introduces the sixth rule of his 14 rules for the discernment of spirits, calling to mind the directive of the fifth rule. In the fifth rule, St. Ignatius directs us not to change our spiritual decisions or proposals when we are in a time of spiritual desolation. The sixth rule states, Although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, it is very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself. The call in the sixth rule is to change ourselves, to change ourselves intensely against the spiritual desolation. We are not called to passively endure spiritual desolation, for God's call in the time of spiritual desolation is always to resist and fight against the desolation with strength, trust, and determination. How will you change yourself against the desolation? For more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. Thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Who's In. I'm Dr. Ray Grandy. This is E-Person Monday. Final few minutes of the program. Final few minutes of an E-Person. Dr. Ray, do you think some families are somehow cursed? Now, that's a loaded question. Because there does seem to be some pretty good indication that uh, hexes or spells or curses when backed by demonic power, can, uh, can do things to people. Definitely do things to people. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what she's referring to here. My mother-in-law's family has experienced three suicides in the last 16 years. Two of her own daughters, one to postpartum psychosis, one to intermittent depression, both very religious women. Well, again, once again, like I have said, how do, how do you determine that? It's on the basis of what you see. And recently, a 40-year-old great-nephew. Each of their deaths sends me into a tailspin. Are some families cursed? Well, if you're using it to mean... Do some families have a lot more than their share of tragedy? That seems to be a given. A woman who is a very dear friend of our families, Edith. I went over there when I was, I probably first met her when I was eight or nine years old. My parents knew her, and I forget how. All of us Italians in Canton knew each other. Edith, through the course of her life, watched her 20-year-old only son die from brain cancer. And she married. Her first husband died. Married again. Her second husband died. Married again. Her third husband died. Uh, whew. Interestingly enough, Edith was probably one of the more upbeat, pleasant, likable human beings I ever met. 
if you're using this, Heather, in the way to mean, would could this be some kind of spell, hex, curse placed on somebody from someone who definitely is immersed in the occult or the demonic? I mean, that that can't be ruled out. Probably is more likely that if you knew more about the history or the dynamics, these tragedies wouldn't seem quite so incomprehensible to you. I'm not saying they're good or they're right or they can be they can be rationalized. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying it it wouldn't so much appear to be inexplainable. And if it's inexplainable, then you look for some kind of outward cause. Yeah, the the interesting thing, the most I think the most significant thing that you said is the two suicides of daughters, both daughters, who were very religious. Now, the one, postpartum psychosis, which raises the question, could she really be held accountable for what she did? I mean, if, if she was not in her right mind chemically, then obviously the question of how blameworthy she is before the before the throne of God is is definitely his... His weighing. The other one says intermittent depression. Well, it could be very serious depression, and if it's biochemically based depression, and it's something that just overwhelms her, and she becomes despairing. Once again, I gotta believe, and our church would teach, that God takes all that into account to the degree that they couldn't choose with a clear mind and stable emotions whether to end their life or not is known only to God. And that's why he always says, don't judge. So, I guess what I'm saying is, the church always says, before you look at any kind of demonic oppression, any kind of demonic even possession, which is rare, you look for other explanations. You rule them out. And I don't know how much you know about this family. But the less you know, the more incomprehensible it seems what they did. I get a lot of people in my office who come in and the first session or two, I can't really understand why they're at the emotional point that they are. It doesn't seem to fit given what they're telling me. But then, if they happen to stay with me for five, six, eight, ten sessions, it becomes more clear why they're they're so distressed and so unsettled, uh, much more so than they appeared to be when they first came in. Hopefully, it wasn't my therapy did that. Thank you for joining me here on the Doctor's In. I'm Doctor Ray Grandy. Appreciate very much the company. I appreciate all that Andrew Kruchek does over there at Ave Maria. Thank you. Again, for joining me, good Lord Mitten, talk to you tomorrow. Walk with God. <laughs> Walk with. 
For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.